Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. You can open to the book of Genesis chapter 25. If you've got a smartphone, you can open your app to you version and then go to Genesis chapter 25. If you have neither on the screen behind me, we got the verses. We are in week two of a sermon series that we are calling Death Defying, Death Defying. This is not an easy sermon series for me to preach. I am so grateful that you give me the liberty to, to do it and that you guys are light about it. We're on a series uh, talking about death. And I know that might sound heavy for some people, especially if this is your first time. But I think church is a place where we go to talk about the things we struggle with. Amen? I don't want to talk about things that I don't face every day in my life. That's why we do series on relationships. We do series on finances. And if we're being honest, death is something we face every day, either personally or in the loved ones around us or on television or in foreign wars that are happening. We see it. We experience it. So we want to help you process, learn, and really flip death on its head. And so we're We've been doing a four-week series. The first three weeks are on death, but the last week of our series ends on Easter Sunday, and on that day, we're going to end the series where death ends with resurrection. Come on, someone. We're going to talk about where death ends, which is life. Genesis chapter 25, verse 7. We'll start here. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Oh, my goodness. That's a long time to live. I want to just take a second to dive into this verse, if I can, just even this first verse. It's very important for you to know that when the authors of the Bible wrote the Bible, they knew when they wrote it, they were not going to be able to contain all of the details of the history of humanity. They had to put in things that were going to be intentional. It's one of the ways that you can apply studying the Bible. Every detail, especially when it comes to the description of a person, was a detail that was written with intention. The detail of that, if the Bible says they had long hair, or if the Bible says they had red hair, or the Bible says they were strong, or they were well-spoken, every detail speaks about who they are as a person through their quality of life, and in this day, it's the quality of their death. And there are some details here that are significant. I want to pause. Even though it's not my message, I think it's significant to just take a second to talk about it. 175 years old, that's a long time to live. Now, the reason why that number is so significant is because Abraham was called by God. Did anybody know how old Abraham was when he started to follow the Lord? 75 years old. So the fact that he dies at 175 is not a coincidence. God is saying, he started following me at 75, which by the way, kudos to that person, right? But, but then even more impressive than that, listen, he followed me for a century, for a hundred years, two takeaways from this really quickly, never assume that your best days are behind you. I think if I'm 75, I'm thinking my best days are gone. Anything that I was going to do of significance has been done already. But when you are living for the Lord, your best days are always yet to come. Isn't that good news, someone? Come on. You might think only 75-year-old people wrestle with this, but there's a 16-year-old right now that broke up with their girlfriend thinks their best days are behind them. Hear, hear me, hear me. <laughs> Your best days are still ahead of you. And I think secondly, what is important from this is that he served for 100 
lived for 75 before he served. Give props to anybody who starts a business at seven. I think that's a true story. If not, I made it up and I'm sorry, but you get the point. I give respect to those who step out in old age to do something significant, but I have even more respect for someone who can follow for 100 years. Hear me, it's good to have a good start, but it's better to have a great finish. Anybody can start. A lot of people start a marathon, not everyone finishes. A lot of people start the race, not everyone finishes. This is a shout out to all of those who gave their lives to Christ in the last three years here at Journey Church, which by our estimate is 60% of you guys. Praise the Lord for that. Yeah, that's a good time to give God praise. Hear me. I'm so excited that you started. Now finish. Finish strong. Fin- message though. My message is in the next verse. Old man and full. Someone say full and full of years and was gathered to his people. Now, before I give you the title of my message, we, do need, we need to do another Bible deep, uh, deep dive. Full, full of years. Um, Pastor Jenny, props to Pastor Jenny, she is on her way to completing her master's in biblical and theological foundations in seminary right now. We love you, P. Jenny. So proud of you, always growing. Last week, she was in class. I'm like, I'm like in class with her. Like, she'll send me stuff her teacher teaches her. And she's like, I just want to make sure this is real. She'll tell me. It's like, I'm like, yeah, it's good. It's legit. Like, he's, it's good. And, and last week, we had a brief conversation about when it's important to give the literal translation of words in your Bible. If you don't know, there are many different translations of the Bible. I hold the NIV in my hand. You might have the NLT or the KJV or the ESV, OPP, whatever, GOT. You got all the different versions, ABC, whatever. Um, all of those are saying the same thing, but they're translated so that you can, I can understand them. But sometimes, because they were written in Hebrew and Greek at a different time and culture, sometimes we translate words so much that we lose what the author was intending. And so she was asking, when as a preacher, do you have the obligation to bring it down to its literal translation? Can't do it throughout the entire sermon because I only got 35 minutes to preach, 32, 04, 03 minutes to preach this message. So I can't, I can't spend all sermon doing that. So I told her, you do it whenever it's going to help a person see God differently or serve God differently. And you do it whenever it's going to help a person see life differently or live life differently. And I think this is one of those passages, because if we can put up that verse one more time, it said, Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, full of years, full of, next one, full of years. Yeah, full of years. But that was what we read in the last version. But that's not the actual translation. In the actual literal translation, I promise this is going to make sense in just a second. It said, he breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man, and not full of years. The translators added of years. The intention of the author was to say that he died and he died. Not full of years, he died. Full. Why is this such a beautiful translation? Because the word full literally means the way you feel after your Thanksgiving dinner. Do you have the same Thanksgiving that I have? I'm in a Puerto Rican family. We're like, we're like not a part of America, but we are. And so Thanksgiving is something we really rock hard, but we do it like in, a, in big with a lot of different types of foods. And I don't know about appetizers. You have all the appetizers. It's like a buffet. Then you don't just have one entree, you got all the entrees. And then you get all the desserts. And this last Thanksgiving, we had a lot of desserts. So many. I ate all of them. And at the end, I was absolutely full, which I regret. Because then my sister-in-law came out with my favorite dessert, which if you have a Hispanic heritage, you'll know this. But if not, I'll just explain to you what this is. It's called flan. And it's like a, it's like a custard, like a custard cake type thing. I can't even describe it to you. It's like describing heaven. It's hard, it's, uh, but it's delicious. And, and, uh, and, and, I, and she brought it out 
and she said, here, like, like she was saving the best for last, you know? And I was like, you, you, you suck, you know? Like, this is terrible. <laughs> I told her, you know how that saying that says, like, you're never too full for dessert? That's a lie. You can be too full for dessert. I had eaten so much. By the time the flan got to the table, I said, oh, my God, can you, like, cut half of it and leave it with me? Because I am so full, I cannot have another bite, even though it's delicious, even though it's my favorite, even though I know it would taste good. I've already had so much good, I can't have one more bite. Are you seeing it? The Bible is saying that when Abraham died, he had lived life so well. He had loved so well had experienced so much that if God were to offer him another bite, let me say it differently, another day of life, Abraham would have looked at God and said, God, I love you, appreciate that, that's my favorite, but I literally cannot have another bite of life. And when I read that, I thought, I want to go out like that. Could you imagine being so full of life that when you die, you go, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. Like, I've had enough of this. I'm ready to go on to the better and the best and the realest. Could you imagine living life so well that you couldn't do another date night? Imagine living life so well, you couldn't do another movie night, even, if, even though it's phase 10 of Marvel. You still can't do it by that point. Still can't even do another movie night. Even, living life so well, you couldn't do one more vacation, not one more sunset, not one more sunrise, not one more kiss, because you've lived life so well. I wonder if that's even possible. Someone will say, yeah, if you live 175, it's possible. <laughs> but remember, we, the translators, added of years. The translation is not of years, full. So what if a full life is not determined by the quantity of your years, but the quality of them? Remember, Jesus died at how old? But no one lived fuller. In Jesus. So whether you're 20s, when you're 20s, or in your 30s, or in your 40s, here's what I believe is possible. Here's what I want to talk about today. The title of today's message, How to Die Full. Full, full, full. I think it's possible if we pay attention to Abraham's life. I think there's some principles in there we can apply to our own. Genesis 25, 7. We're just going to stay in this verse all day if that's okay, because it's so profound. Look what it says. These are the days of the year. Someone say the days. These are the days of the year. Here's my question. Why mention the days? Isn't it obvious that years are made up of days, 365 of them to be exact? Why, why say the days? This was not a common reference. This was only used two other times. One other time was for Jacob's life in the Bible. But this is not normally how you reference someone's life. The days of the years. I don't think that the author is trying to just communicate information. I think they're trying to pass on revelation. And I think this is the revelation as we read it, that a person's age is measured in years. But a person's life is measured in days. You can have some pretty amazing days that make you feel alive. I told my kids the other day, because they didn't believe me, I said, y'all are only 8 and 10, but at 8 and 10, y'all have lived more life than others have lived at 38 and, I was going to say 40, 10, but that's not right, <laughs> and 40. So much. In January, we went to Hawaii. They were on a helicopter. We, we, we flew over a volcano, and we saw lava. 
going, I, I've been waiting since I was four years old to see lava. I saw it at 35. I looked back at them and I was low-key jealous. <laughs> Y'all are seeing at eight and 10 what I'm seeing at 35 for the first time. You know what made me even more upset? Is that they don't know. For them, that's life. And I'm like, y'all are so spoiled. And I know, Daddy, we appreciate it. I'm like, no, you don't. And they're like, yes, we do. I was like, listen, it's not your fault. You can't know. The year before that, we went to New York. We took them to, to Empire State Building. We, we took them to the World Trade Center. We saw the memorials. We went to Statue of Liberty. They had New York pizza. They had New York hot dogs on the street that are dirty but delicious. <laughs> Born and raised in New York, so I'm a little biased myself. But. And I'm just looking at them like, you guys, they've been to, to birthdays. They've been to funerals. They've experienced death. They've experienced birth. They got Disney passes. I'm like, y'all don't even know. That's what breaks my heart. They can't even see the life that they have. If you want to die full, here's that first step. You got to see every day as meaning full. Some would say meaning full. Every day, every day. Let me show you your life really quickly. This is a quick summary of your life. This is your life. Your life is seven days a week, Monday through Sunday. Now, every day is a blank canvas for you to create. Sometimes you can't control the colors. that. You now, the collection of the days altogether, that's called living. At the end of your life, the accumulation of all your days is, is you living. Living happens at the accumulation of your days, but life happens in the day. Like, today is Sunday. Amen? Just making sure we're on the same page. Same page, get it? That's funny, I don't care what you say. Yesterday, yesterday is not today. It's not life. Yesterday's history. Tomorrow's not life. That's maybe because it's not guaranteed. So you need to know that every day of your life, the only day that is actually life is today. The choices you make today make life. The decisions you make today make life. The opportunities you take today make life. The relationships you make or destroy today make life. This, this is life today. And you want to make the most of today or else one day you'll die like we all will. And we'll look back on our life and all we will see are a collection of blank pages. Wondering what it could have been. I've been at the bedside of people who have passed away, and I can tell you that the number one regret of those people are not the things that they've done. A lot of them are believers, so that makes sense. Why would you regret the things that you've done when everything that you've done has been wiped away by the blood of Jesus Christ? That's the beauty of forgiveness, that when you close your eyes for the last time, you might have a lot of people in life who are mad at you, but there's one person who's got mercy for you. So my life is in his hands, and thank goodness. But it's not the number one regret. The number one regret of people who are passing away are not the things that they did the things that they wish they had done. Don't spend your life in such a way that you look back one day thinking, what could it have been? What could I have made? However, this is not even really the more common issue. I think the more common problem we have with finding meaning in our days is that we assume that meaningful days are few and far between. Let me explain. So maybe for us, like the, a meaningful day would be the day that we graduate college 
or the day we buy a house. Come on, today's climate, that's a an M for meaningful. It's meaningful, meaning, wow, I remember the day I graduated college and I got that diploma. I also remember the day they handed me my student loan. That was also, <laughs> it's also very meaningful, but in a different, different way. The day I bought my house, that's big, the day they handed me the deed. Some people might think, you know, Thursday, a day that was meaning was the day that you had your baby or the day you got married. You ask yourself, who gets married on a Thursday? People on a budget. <laughs> that's who gets married on a Thursday. <laughs> Trying to keep the expenses low. <laughs> so, and this is, this is the shame of life. Listen, there, there's seven days, but we'll only pick out two that have meaning. But that's not really what it is. But we think that. And we take the remainder of our days and we separate them into one of two categories. I think there are some days that we wish we could throw away because they were so painful. We're going to put a W for that because we might consider them wasted days. You know, this is the day the car accident happened and everything in your life changed. This was the day the business shut down and everything in your life change, the day you got let go. We look at that day and we go, I wish that day wasn't even a part of my life. It was a wasted day. Maybe it was the day that your mom and dad sat down with you and they said, hey, we have to talk. It's not your fault, but we're splitting up. You think, man, that day scarred me for the rest of my life. What a wasted day. If I could look at the pages of my life, I think I'd rip that one out of my book. So in life, we have a lot of meaningful days. We have a lot of wasted days. And you know what the third category is, right? It's the nothing days. <laughs> like, most people see life as the good days, the bad days, and then everything else, writing. <laughs> it's a nothing day. And so we got all this pain, so we come to small group. Because Pastor JJ said that if you get in a small group, you'll find freedom. Well, that's awesome. I want to get in a small group. I want to find freedom. But you get in a small group. And you know what? The snacks aren't even that good. But on top of that, the freedom that was promised on Sunday, I'm not experiencing. On Wednesday, I went, but I got nothing out of it. And so instead of giving God a chance, well, now we're going to go give the world a chance because that was the weekend. You know what I'm saying? And we got to find a way to numb that pain. So it's Saturday. That's my dance. Saturday in and out. Saturday comes, I got this pain I'm going to deal with, so I'm going to try to numb, numb my pain by getting drunk and, and getting high, getting on benders, going to the club. People like Christian people don't get drunk and do drugs, but, you know, <laughs> the ones who pretend that we don't, you know what I'm saying? That's what we do. What we tell people, we, we watch Netflix to try and numb the pain, but nothing works. And then now we got guilty on Saturday, though. So we got to come to church on Sunday. And we lift our hands, and we listen to the preacher, and we try to be encouraged. And for a moment, we are, but we go home, and it's the same feeling. Nothing has changed. If that's you, and this is the way you view life, I want to propose to you a radical new perspective on it by telling you the story of Jesus' last week of life. We call it the Holy Week or Passion Week. And if you look at Jesus' holy life, holy week, his life might seem like ours on the surface. There are only a few days of meaning in that week. Number one would be Thursday. 
that would be a day of, of, of meaning because it was the day he had the Last Supper. It's the one that, you know, they did the painting with. And, and it's, you know, he's having dinner with his boys. That's always a good time. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's good meaning. He's washing the feet of the disciples and soon-to-be apostles. He's, he's prophesying. He's giving promises. It's, it's a good time. That's a day of meaning. And then, of course, three weeks from now, we're going to celebrate what? Resurrection Sunday, which we would say, then that day had meaning. And so if we look at the seven days of Jesus' last week on earth, we think meaning, meaning. But let me tell you about the other days. First off, there's everybody in Jerusalem. Has, you know what this Monday followed? It followed Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, everybody in Jerusalem has got palm branches, and they're worshiping him, and they're saying, he's going to be the king. We love him. This is the guy. It's all going to be great. But on Monday, he shows up at the church, and he starts flipping over tables and whipping people. I'll tell you, I know you wish that Jesus was your pastor, <laughs> but I would never whip you. <laughs> never whip you. you know what I'm saying? He starts whipping people, and all of the goodwill that he builds on Sunday He wastes on Monday. On Tuesday, the Pharisees were so upset with him, he spends all Tuesday arguing with the Pharisees and prophesying over his disciples. We don't see one convert. We don't see one person decide to follow Jesus as a result. I don't know if you ever spent hours trying to speak to somebody, and at the end of that conversation, nothing changes. You think, man, what a waste. You know what happened on Wednesday, don't you? All my Bible scholars know what happened on Wednesday. You open up the Bible, what happened on Wednesday? We don't know. <laughs> it's the one day of the Passion Week that we have zero details about. So that means that on Wednesday, nothing happened. Stop judging my ends. <laughs> then we have Friday. You guys remember what happened on Friday, right? Ends up hung up on a cross. And I think about all the disciples that spent their entire lives following Jesus. Gave up everything, laid down their nets. They must have been looking him on the cross, breathing his last, thinking, the last three years of our lives, what a waste. And now I remember what happened on Saturday, right? No, you don't. Because on Saturday, it was a big fat nothing. Friday he died, Sunday he resurrected, but... Saturday was a silent day. Nothing's happening. So if you look at it on the surface, you go, well, I guess that's just life. Life is the meaningful days are spread few and far between, and every other day either sucks or is nothing. But look again. When you apply scripture to this life, and when you zoom out and see the whole picture, you see the life as a, as in its totality and not just zoomed in. That's our problem. We zoom into one day. We don't zoom out to see how that day played into the life. Anytime you zoom into your day, you miss out on life. So, so when you zoom out, look what happens. Monday, Mark chapter 11, verse 18. This is, comes from Monday. After Jesus flips the tables and starts whipping people, which again, that's crazy. But whatever you do, Jesus is good. So amen. After he does it, look at this. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this kicking people out of the jail, whipping people. He goes, uh-uh. And they began looking for a way to kill him. So it turns out, if Monday had never happened, this is when the assassination plot for Jesus begins. So if we didn't have Monday, we would have never had Friday. Why is Friday important? Because without Friday, we wouldn't have had 
So what looked like a waste on Friday was a waste. Actually had meaning. Yet we would have never gotten to Friday if we didn't have. So Monday had meaning too. The things you think are a waste in your life, wait till God turns them around. God turns waste into meaning. Into meaning. We would never have Sunday if it wasn't for Friday and Monday. And then Tuesday, what a waste arguing with all those people. But look how the argument ends. Luke 20, 17. The stone the builders rejected, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, has become the cornerstone. This is an important verse because in this verse, salvation now goes from the Jewish Pharisees and the Jewish people to the Gentiles. In other words, he's saying, I came for y'all, but if y'all don't want me, here we go, world. And I was a part of the plan all along. So that argument needed to happen. The rejection of the Pharisees needed to happen so that you and I, anybody who's not Jewish by birth, could find salvation in Jesus Christ. I'm trying to tell you, the thing that looked like a waste ended up having meaning. And then Wednesday, the day that we know nothing about, what is possible with, no, with Wednesday? Well, listen, Thursday wasn't just the dinner. Thursday was also the night he got arrested. Thursday was the night he was crucified on Friday, but they started beating him up on Thursday. So the most difficult night of his life is about to happen. Now that puts Wednesday in perspective. Maybe it wasn't nothing. Maybe it was preparing. Maybe Jesus needed to prepare the strength, the energy, the mental fortitude, the spiritual strength to be able to endure the toughest week of his life, weekend of his life, what looked like nothing to you and me behind the scenes. Now you know why I made my ends the way I made them. Because nothing had meaning. And then you got Saturday. And you think, well, Saturday, nothing, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Pastor, I don't care what you, nothing happened. But remember the verse I read last week? When Jesus is in heaven and he's speaking to John and he goes, I died and I was alive. And he said, then something happened in between died and alive. He said, and now I have the keys of Hades of hell and death. It looked like nothing. On Friday, he died. On Sunday, he resurrected. But on Saturday, he knocked on hell's door. He said, yo, the keys right there, give me them keys right now. And anybody who believes in me from this day forward shall not perish. It had meaning. So I'm trying to encourage you that every wasted thing in your life has meaning. That every nothing in your life is actually preparation. That anytime you feel like the devil is destroying you, God is preparing you. That every season you feel like things aren't moving, it has meaning. You're being made. In every season, you got to look at it. So hear me, hear me. Here's my advice. Make every day a masterpiece. I have that on my whiteboard in my office. It's your responsibility to make every day a masterpiece. Every day, every day. Why? Because the only wasted days, put it on the screen, the only wasted days are the days you don't learn from, build on, or appreciate. Other than that, there are no wasted days when it comes to Jesus. Only if you don't learn from it, build on it, or appreciate it. When it comes to appreciation, let me give you the last two very quickly. Worship team, I know you can come up. Here's, a, here's the second one very quickly. Show the people you love. You want to die full? Show the people you love that you're grateful. Grateful. Someone say grateful. Show them that you're grateful. Let's go back to Abraham's story. Genesis chapter 25. 
Verse 9 and 10, his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre. Someone say Mamre. We're going to get to Mamre in a second. In the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought for the Hittites. Then Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. The place Mamre is significant in scripture for three reasons. Number one, it was the place where Abraham gets the promise that one day he's going to have the land. It actually is called the promised land. And then in a result of his promise, he shows his gratitude by building an altar. The second time that he's in Mamre, the Bible says that God comes and visits him in the person of the Trinity. Three of them come and they're God. It's crazy. It's awesome. And while God is there, he prophesies that one day Abraham will have a son. Not just one day. He says, this time next year, you will have a son. So now we have a promise. And in response to that promise, Abraham makes him a meal. I'm sure it was the best meal ever. Had flan for sure in it. And he gave it to them and he ate it and he loved it. It was a promise and gratitude. Promise and gratitude. The third time we hear about Mamre, hear me, is the day that Abraham buys Sarah's gravesite. The gravesite that he is going to be buried in one day with her. He wants to die together with her, like Noah and Ali, no book style, if you know what I'm talking about. If you've seen the movie, you know what I mean. If not, why you have not lived. See the movie. Um, he wants to die. Here's why I bring that up, because even in buying the cave, hear me, there's a one-day promise and gratitude. The cave is Abraham's way of saying, thank you for the life you gave me, Sarah. You were an amazing wife. But please catch this. When I caught this, this blew my mind. The first time it was a promise that one day you'll have the land. The second time it was a promise that one day you'll have a son. When he buys the cave and puts his body in there with his wife, the promise is that one day we'll be together again. It was promise. That one day, we'll be together again. That's, Mamre is a place of promises and gratitude. Abraham loved his wife so much. She was such a good wife. He, and he didn't just wait till she died to show her that love. He, he showed her that love throughout his entire life. Hear me. When we die, we get to see the people we love in heaven. Someone say amen. But earth is the only time you can tell them that you love them. When was the last time you told a person in your life you love them? A person that you're grateful for, that they've done things for you. I love Billy Graham. He had, he had two quotes that I really love at the end of his life that he said when he was dying. Billy Graham, if you don't know, is one of the, is the world's most famous evangelists. He's seen millions of people come to Christ. He died a few years ago. One of my personal role models from North Carolina. Just a hero of the faith. And uh, he said two things. He said, one, one day you'll hear on the news that Billy Graham died. He said, don't believe him. On that day, I'll be more alive than I've ever been. I love that. Second thing he said was his last words. Do you know Billy Graham's last words? I researched it, Googled it. I wanted to do a sermon on last words. But then I saw Billy Graham's last words and I thought, it's not gonna make a good sermon. <laughs> I didn't know how I was gonna apply it. So I just kept it in my notes. But maybe one day I'll use this. As I'm putting together this sermon, I thought, these are the perfect last words. Perfect last words. He's in his deathbed. This is what the nurses record, the last thing to come out of his mouth. His family comes and visits. He's got a big family at this time. And on their way out, the family, his great-granddaughter looks back at Pastor Billy. And these are Billy Graham's last words as recorded by the nurses and family members. I love you. I love you. I love you. You know, what you'll want to say the last seconds of breath that you have you'll want to find the people in your life 
pour yourselves into you. You want to find your spouse. You want to find your kids. You want to find your mom. People who sacrifice for you, and you'll want to be able to tell them. You know how I know? I took Justice and Zane. I told you to the 9/11 memorial. In the 9/11 memorial, they have actual recorded conversations of people who were in the building. There's phones. You can pick up the phone, put your ear to the phone in the 9/11 memorial, and you actually hear the recordings of the phone calls that were made that day from the building before the planes hit. It's it's crazy. It's traumatizing. It's also powerful. It puts life into perspective. I wanted my boys to hear it, see it, because I lived through it. I was there when the planes hit, and it changed my life. So I wanted to share that pain with them. I don't want that day to ever forget. That day, right? Never forget. There were two of them that stuck out to me. You got to hear it. But honestly, every call followed the same structure. The first was from a woman, a woman named Melissa Harrington Hughes. Melissa lived in San Francisco. While she's in the building, she calls her husband. Unfortunately, because of the time difference, her husband was still in bed. He didn't hear the phone ring. So this is the phone call from pulled from the voicemail. Honey, put it on the screen. I just wanted to let you know I love you. I'm stuck in this building in New York. There's lots of smoke, and I just wanted you to know that I love you always. The next voicemail was from Cece Lyles. She was a mother of four kids. She was the flight attendant aboard Flight United 93. When the plane was hijacked on September 11, she dialed home, but her husband was a cop who just got off the night shift, so he missed the call too. He was asleep when the phone rang. Look at the phone call. Put it on the screen. Hi, baby. Um, baby, you have to listen to me carefully. I'm on a plane that's been hijacked. I'm on the plane. I'm calling from the plane. I want to tell you, I love you. Please tell my children that I love them, all four of them. And I'm so sorry, baby. Sorry for what? Probably that I didn't say it enough. Maybe. I don't know what to say. There's three guys. They've hijacked the plane. We're turned around, and I hear that there's planes that have been flown into the World Trade Center. I hope to see your face again, baby. I love you. Bye. Here's my point. We don't have time to bear bitterness. We don't have time to be mad at mom and dad, at little sister, at big brother, at the cousin, at the at the husband, at the wife. There is not enough time to be upset. Tell the people you want, you know in your life now that you love them and you're grateful and you appreciate every single pastor that's poured into your life. Every parent, maybe they weren't perfect, but they gave you life, and you would have never had it if it wasn't for them. So get them on the phone, call them, tell them you love them. I'm grateful. When was the last time you called mom and dad and told them that you love them? You better do it right after this service. Right after this service. Soon, I don't get even while the worship. Put out your cell phone. <laughs> mom, dad, I just want to tell you that I love you. Are you okay? Yeah, I just want to die for. I just want to die for. I want to die for. I just want to love you, man. Thank you for every spanking. I love you. Because you might not get another chance. Liz does this thing every time I leave the house. Kind of—it's annoying, but I love it. If you're married, you know that tension. It's annoying, and I'll—I'll I'll, say—I'll say on the way out, I'll go, "Bye, babe. I'm leaving. Love you." She'll be far in another room, on another floor, in the shower, cooking in the garage. I'm just making sure she heard me. Doesn't matter where she is. I hear back every time. Ah! I'm like, babe, I gotta go. I just gotta get the meeting is gonna start pretty soon, and I've gotta leave. Ah! 
Say, babe, I just gotta get in the car. I really can't wait. I can't talk to you about it. I just really, I love you, but I gotta, uh-uh. Come here. I look at her, she'll go. And she'll look at me and she'll go, don't you ever leave this house without kissing me goodbye. Because we've lost so many people. We don't know when the next opportunity for a kiss will be. You don't know. Don't let one day, one moment pass without letting the people in your life know how grateful you are. Because on the day that you die, what will make you feel full, I held his hand every chance I got. If you're sitting next to somebody you love right now, you better hold that hand. Because you don't know the next time, every chance I get, I will let them know. I love them so much. I love them so much. Here's the last one. You gotta live and leave purposeful. Purposeful, purposeful, purposeful. Genesis 25.5, Abraham left something and Abraham lived somewhere. Abraham left everything to Isaac, but while he was living, he gave his other kids gifts. Hear me really quickly. Abraham has two sets of kids, okay? Isaac and everyone else. Everyone else represents the world. And while he was living, he made an impact for all those kids. In other words, while you're living, make sure you make an impact in this world. When you leave, make sure that the world is better after you got here than when you left it. Do you hear me? Help somebody, feed somebody, share with somebody, hold the door for somebody. Be kind, be generous. But Isaac got everything. Isaac represents the child of the promise. Isaac represents the progenitor of Jesus. Isaac represents salvation. Isaac represents eternity. Are you listening? Make a difference in this world, but I'm gonna give everything to eternity. The question, when you leave this earth for this world, or will there be some things that you've given your life to that actually pass the test of time? Because in heaven, there will be a test. Did you know that? In heaven, there is a test. Everything you've devoted your deeds to, everything you devoted your money to, everything you devoted your treasure to and your time to, on that day will be tested by God to see if it makes it into heaven. Look at verse 11 through 15. After all, 1 Corinthians, no one can lay any other foundation than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If it's not built on Jesus, it burns. People may build on this foundation, gold, silver, stones, wood, hay, straw, verse 13. But the day that will make what each one does clearly visible because fire will reveal it. The day, the day when we die, the day, that day. Fire will determine what kind of work each person has done. If what a person has built survives, he will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, he will suffer his loss. There are things that you are spending your life building right now that don't make it. And I'm trying to encourage you, if you want to die full, Make sure that you're going towards something and not just leaving things behind because of the way you lived your life. Put the picture up on the screen. I, I took this picture this morning, last night for my kids. I see these boxes on the corner. They got three unopened boxes of Legos. That was a mystery to me. Why have these Legos not been opened and played with yet? I was confused until I looked at the rest of the, of the, of the thing. See that, that's the Lego shelf. The reason why he can't open up those Legos is because Pastor Liz has a rule. It says you can't build a new Lego and put it on the shelf until you take apart one of the other Legos so that the new Lego can get on. That's her way of managing the Lego traffic that is in our house. That's her rule. They have been having those boxes in their room since December, since Christmas, y'all. 
for four months, they have not been able to decide what they want to put apart or take apart. Here's the lesson, here's the lesson. They have become so attached to a temporary thing that they built that they forgot that it was never designed to last forever anyway. Let me get that. I took these straight from the shelf so they could, I could help them out. <laughs> Some people will spend their whole life trying to buy the, the Jeep, the, the Wrangler, the Tesla, the, whatever car you like. Their whole life trying to buy a house with your budget, this is about as big as you. <laughs> so is it what you got, a one bedroom? Now nah, I got a one room. a room. Can I tell you what the devil doesn't want you to know about these things? None of them last. They were all built to come apart. Don't spend your life playing with Legos, building things that fall apart over time. When you get to heaven, none of this shows up there. None of it. And the joy that it brought you None of that joy lasts in the next world. Can I be even realer? None of that joy even makes it through this world. How long do you enjoy that new car? Until your first, till the first thing breaks. How long do you enjoy that, that house? Until you have another kid and you're running out of space. Don't spend your life. There's a saying from a preacher, and I'm going over, but there's a saying that a preacher has, I love it. He said this, he said, the devil has no happy old men. How could he? If when they die, they have to leave the things that they spent their whole life building. But the Christian, when he or she dies, we're so, we're so happy, we're so ready, we're so... Because the things we've been building are waiting for us in the next life. So like, take my Legos. This isn't what I spent my life trying to accumulate. So what, what are you going to do? Spend your life living for eternity. What does that mean? Spend your life raising kids that love Jesus. Because that'll last. Spend your life helping people because people will last. Spend your life on this earth getting to know God more in every page of the Bible. Spend your money helping to launch churches and send missionaries and, and feed homeless people. What we do every single week here at Journey Church. Spend your life worshiping. Spend your life serving on a team, whether in Journey Kids or serve. spend your life at your workplace sharing the gospel with your coworkers because those are the things that last. Bow your head and close your eyes. If you're in this room today and you want to die full now, would you begin to speak to the Lord and just say, Lord, I'm sorry if I've ever made my life about Jeeps, if I've ever made my life about cars, if I've ever made my life about money, things that fall apart in this life, forgive me, Lord. That's not what it's about. It's about eternity and I want to live for eternity. Help me live for you. Jesus. My second prayer is for those who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you're in this room today and you are far from God, what does that mean? You just know your relationship is not where you want it to be with Him. Well, this is your chance to build your life on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. If you're ready to turn in your Legos, give your heart to Jesus, and start a new life so you can die full on the count of three, I want you to raise your right hand all over this room. Jesus, I need you all over this room. If that's you, one, two, three right now if that's you would you be so kind or so raise your right hand no one's looking it's a private moment i see your hand ma'am i see your hand sir young man i see your hand i see your hand at the back 
front on the sides. Amen and amen. Go ahead and put your hand down. I want to pray with you. And I want to pray for you. Can everybody pray this prayer out loud? Let's say, Father God, I give you my life and I give you my Legos. Everything I tried to build, I give to you. And I prepare myself for the next life. Jesus, forgive me for my past. Prepare me for my future. I repent. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, give it up for all those who made We hope you've enjoyed this message. And we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.